hey, are you under pressure to get grant funding right now or maybe yesterday? Wondering how to get started or improve your current skills? Margaret Brazda Poirier is one of our grant writing peers who has trained thousands of people in how to find and develop winning grant proposals. Check out her new self-paced online course at allaboutgrantwriting.com. This eight-module online course provides you with a step-by-step process so that when you complete all the modules, you will have completed a full grant application that is ready to send. Go to allaboutgrantwriting.com to find out how you can access this course and make a positive difference in your community. Well, hello there. I am Kimberly Hayes Day Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Season 3 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We are a dynamic duo bringing you insight and knowledge into the ever evolving world of grants, development, and fundraising. It's also a real possibility that Kimberly and I will break into song, talk about balloon, talk about pie. Yeah. Or refer to you, dear listeners, as y'all. Y'all. All y'all. All y'all. In fact, we hope all y'all will subscribe to the Fundraising Heyday podcast. This podcast is brought to you by our Season 3 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Hey, don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, and grant mock review. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com. Check it out today. Okay, y'all. You already knew that I was a bit of a grant geek, um, but this episode, I am totally letting my grant freak flag fly. Woo! Fly your flag, my freak grant friend. <laughs> you know I am. Today, <laughs> we're gonna, today we're going to take a deep dive into the differences between subrecipients and contractors. I got to stop and- you right there, Amanda. If that doesn't put you on the edge of your seat, boys and girls, I just don't know what will. It's exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I have learned over the years in teaching federal grant management classes that it can sometimes be hard to distinguish between the two. And you, then you throw in things like partners and collaborators and fiscal agents and you get it all in the mix and it just can get a little complicated. Very true. So I know this isn't the most thrilling topic, but I'm telling you it's relevant and necessary. So Also, let's... y'all, Amanda knows what she's talking about. And um, the, I think the thrilling part is that it will keep you out of jail and keep the money flowing to your organization. I'm just it's... saying that. And also she knows what she's talking about. So y'all give a listen. Yep. So let's dive in, right? Um, First of all, OMB, which if you haven't heard that um, acronym before, stands for the Office of Management and Budget. And it is definitely a um, federal government agency that they determine all kinds of rules and regulations surrounding what you can and cannot do with federal money and resources. Um, But it's 2 CFR Part 200 um, is the document where I'm using as an authority to help us define subrecipients and contractors. Okay. So there are two definitions that are helpful within 2 CFR part 200. If you go to section 200.92, subaward is defined as an award provided by a pass-through entity to a subrecipient for the subrecipient to carry out part of a federal award received by that pass-through entity. 
It does not include payments to a contractor or payments to an individual that is a beneficiary of a federal program. A subaward may be provided through any form of legal agreement, including an agreement that the pass-through entity considers a contract. Okay, so all of that basically says the federal government is going to give funding to somebody. Um, and let's just say, as an example, a state agency. So they're giving money, um, let's say, to the Georgia Emergency Management Agency for the Homeland Security Grant Program. So they give it to them. And then GEMA does a call for applications. And a city I work for applies to GEMA. When my city gets grant funding, we are a subrecipient. Okay, so it started with the feds, it went to GEMA, it passed through them, and then it landed in our um, inbox, right? So we're now that subaward entity. So it's a grant for us. That's what we're talking about here. So everybody, you feeling me, Kimberly? I'm feeling you. You're giving, you're, you're passing the money through to an agency that's going to carry out an aspect of the work for which you wrote that grant. Yep. And then um, section 200.22 gives you the definition of a contract. And it says a contract means a legal instrument by which a non-federal entity purchases property or services needed to carry out the project or program under a federal federal award. The term as used in this part does not include a legal instrument, even if the non-federal entity considers it a contract, when the substance of the transaction meets the definition of a federal award or subaward. Okay, do you ever feel like a team of lawyers have written guidance in the 2 CFR part 200? Because I'm just, <laughs> I was briefly, my soul left my body. I'm back now. I'm back and we're ready to explain this. So, dear listeners, if your eyes are starting to glaze over and you're like, oh, my God, let me make it simple for you. A contract is when you need to have some work done as a part of your grant in the instance that we're talking about here. And you don't have the ability to do that work. So let's say I got a grant and we're going to build a road. OK, I have never worked at a city that has its own road construction crew that could do that from start to finish. Instead, we're going to hire a construction company and we're going to pay them through the grant for them to be able to construct the road for us. So it's still my grant project. They're not doing reporting to my funder. It's just we're hiring them for a specific job or service, right? So it's a contract. That's so, a kind of a nice way to put it. <laughs> so Amanda, maybe an example of a contract would be, so I'm going to get all complex here. Watch out. Go for it. So, oh, so it's a pass-through grant. Maybe it's um, the uh, Department of Education, Education Department grant from federal goes to the State Department of Education. Then there's a competitive process within that state, and those sub-recipients or those sub-awards might go to individual school districts. And then that individual school district may need to hire a contractor to deliver a specific program or service that they don't have someone who is a full-time, you know, or part-time regular employee to do. Am I close? You're absolutely right there. Ding, yep. ding. Yep. So, and it's important to understand the difference because it's just, there are some legal reasons and different things you would do based on subrecipients versus contractors, which we're going to get into in a moment. So um, I'll point out one more section of 2 CFR Part 200. So if you're, you know, if you're really <laughs> bored and want to go and read up on this all by yourself, if you go to Section 200.330, um, it gives you the actual definition and some determinations. So if you're like, I'm not quite sure if this is a subrecipient or if it's a contractor, they give you a definition. Okay, so a 
subaward, so meaning if you've got subrecipients, this is someone who's still carrying out a portion of the federal award, and it creates a federal assistance relationship. And characteristics include, first of all, it determines who is eligible to receive what federal assistance. So if you think about it, you know, when like the example you gave, Kimberly, mm-hmm. if the Georgia if the Georgia Department of Education got money from the U.S. Department of Education, they can't just give that those grants to anybody. It's probably got to be a qualified local school system, right? Yep. Um, and so it just they can't just go, hey, Amanda, we're going to give you a grant because you're homeschooling your kids right now. That's, nope. <laughs> that's not how that works. Um, so that's part of it. The second point is you have your performance measured in relation to whether objectives of a grant program are met or not. Okay. So if I receive these grant funds, I'm still having to report and show that we're doing what the whole purpose of the grant. So if the grant was an after-school tutoring program to help raise high school graduation rates, I'm going to have to be reporting to my funder, so the Georgia Department of Education, and let them know, are those things improving or are they not? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the subrecipient has responsibility for programmatic decision making. So it's it is the grant I've received. I got to lay out my program, and yes, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to report back, but I have programmatic decision making. Um, I have to follow all the same federal rules and requirements that the Georgia Department of Education would have to follow in the example we're given, um, and everything I do has to be for a public purpose, okay, which is, that's the whole point of grants is, right, we're helping a public person, we're not giving money specifically to one individual or something like that, mm-hmm. okay, so that's the definition, those are kind of the earmarks, so if you're not quite sure just what the definition means, you can kind of look at these characteristics and see if, are these things all true, then chances are you're a subrecipient, right, um, on the flip side, contractors, um, the definition, again, is about obtaining goods and services, and it's for the non-federal entity's own use, okay? And characteristics of a contract or hiring a contractor are, first of all, that contractor is going to ha- provide those goods and services within their normal business operations. So that example I gave about hiring a construction company, mm-hmm. they build roads all the time. Sometimes they're paid by private companies. Sometimes they may be paid by local governments who have a grant, but they're they're they provide this service to lots and lots of agencies. Okay. Not just us. Um, they provide similar goods or services to many different people. Um, they operate in a competitive environment, which that's usually how it works, right? They are competing against every other contractor who wants the job. Um, and they don't just exist because a federal program exists. Okay. So again, they're providing it to a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they're a contractor and not a subrecipient, they don't necessarily have to follow all the federal grant rules and regulations. Now, they may have some other rules they have to follow because it is federal money paying them, but they don't have to do the grant reporting and that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So that's some other examples of the difference. Um, and it's basically you're using your judgment to determine what it is. And you need to use these definitions and use these points to try to make sure you've figured out which which it is, Okay. I would also like to interject here the the so what factor. If you've made it through this far in the podcast and you've never heard of these terms before, first of all, welcome, Pilgrim. We're glad you're here. But also, and I joked at the beginning, oh, it'll keep you out of jail. It'll keep them from taking away your money. But actually, if you get it wrong, it could have really big implications on how your performance on that grant is um, is monitored in terms of grant management, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's, 
the reason why I we, we really felt this was an important episode is because in my experience, a lot of people like to just claim people are contractors because it still comes with its own set of work, but dealing with a contractor is usually less painful than dealing with a subrecipient. There's less paperwork to deal with. There's less hoops to jump through. And so some people are going to treat subrecipients like contractors just to make their life easier. But then that subre- that agency you've given this money to, they're not doing all the things that they're supposed to do that's supposed to go all the way up to the chain to the feds. Mm. And so a lot, they could get in trouble. You could get in trouble for not monitoring them well. And there's just lots of things that go into play when you turn around and give your money to someone else. Because again, think about it. If you've ever gotten a grant from a state agency that their money derived from the federal agency, there's a lot of stuff you have to do for them, right? You're doing your narrative reports. You're turning in receipts for everything you're doing. There may... You may have site visits. All those things are happening. And so, and if they weren't doing them, the feds are going to have a problem with that. So if you're treating someone like a contractor when they should be a subrecipient, that means you're not doing all of those things. And at some point, the feds are going to realize that. And then suddenly the office of the inspector general may be showing up at your door. You know, Nobody, that's not a, that's not a fun visit. I would think. That's no, no. I think we all like to avoid that if at all possible. And, but it could also have implications if you consistently do this, and it does affect your ability to properly manage these federal or state funds. It can also have implications on your agency being sort of eligible and or competitive for future funding. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I just want to put that out there because I think, too, if you're new to grants or you're new to specifically to public government funding, um, it's a, just a different animal. There's nothing wrong with that, but it takes a lot of resources because of things like this. So, so listen up. Yep. So, and ultimately you have to use your judgment in making the determination. And so you use this information that you have. And again, my default always is if I'm not sure that I'm doing something the right way, I'm going to call my funder and talk to them and walk through the process and explain my line Mm -hmm. of thinking and then ask them what they think. Um, And so let them help you determine what's the right way to go. And then I'd get that in writing from them. So if anybody questions, well, why'd you make this determination? Well, my funder told me to. So fair, fair. So are there, I know we've talked around some different examples, but I have a feeling my oh so experienced friend that you have some examples to help us sort through this alphabet soup of words and phrases and take it to the real world. Yep, I can give you. I I was a subrecipient quite often when I worked for the city of Alpharetta. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a grant program that's called the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Um, it's a program that's housed within the National Park Service of the Department of the Interior, mm-hmm. and then they award it to state agencies. In Georgia, it goes to the Georgia Department of Natural Resources, specifically the state park and historic sites, um, and then. Our state agency, they do a call for applications to local cities and counties. In fact, they're getting ready to open um, the next round this summer. Um, So we'll be looking at, I'll be looking at this grant again very soon. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I was in Alpharetta, we applied, um, we won the grant, um, and we built a splash pad next to a pool at Wills Park. Nice. Um, So 
because it was our application, we chose the project, we had programmatic decision making, which, you know, when we applied, we told them, hey, this is our timeline, this is how we plan to get the work done. Um, and then, of course, we had to report monthly back to the Georgia Department of Natural Resources. So that okay. made you a sub-recipient because you had yeah. all those program responsibilities and reporting responsibilities. Absolutely. Got and it. I can stick with that same example to show you a contractor example. Oh, please um, do. So we got the funding and we knew part of what we had written was that we were going to design and then build a splash pad. But guess what? No one at our, on our staff knew how to do that. Um, and so what we did was we asked for the funding <laughs> to hire a c contractor right. to actually do the work for us. Um, and so what we did is we went through a request for qualifications process. We didn't want the cheapest splash pad out there, right? We wanted to make sure we had a good one. You want a um, deluxe so, splash pad. I yeah, feel you. So we advertised what we were looking for, and there was a, a team of city employees that were put together, um, and we reviewed all those RFQs, the bids received, basically. We selected the most qualified, and a company called Georgia Development Partners was hired and they did both the design and the build of the splash pad. And if anybody's listening is in the Alpharetta area, you can <laughs> still see it today at uh, Wills Park next to the pool. It's a nice little amenity there. And we're if recording this. So. Um, we're recording this during the, the middle of the pandemic. And um, I am looking forward to the day when we can all be safe and healthy and enjoy things like public splash pads again. Wouldn't that be nice? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So, um, so I think that pretty much covers subrecipient versus contractor. Um, at least we've given you some definitions. We've got some examples there. Um, I found in my experience, a lot of times people then also get confused with, well, what about fiscal agents and partners? Mm -hmm. um, so I think this is a good time to talk about those as well. Um, and again, we're going to go back to different guidance from the federal government because we need to hear what they have to say about it. So in 20 CFR, part 679.420, this is where you find out about fiscal agents. And let me tell you, please don't think I have these memorized. I have good notes in front of me because I am not one of those people that, oh yeah, look up this section, blah, blah, blah. No, um, I have to look these things up. <laughs> Let's be clear. Uh, wouldn't it be cool to be like Rain Man though and just know these things? I just, I, well, I don't know about that. Maybe not. <laughs> so, a fiscal agent, so in order to assist in the administration of grant funds, the chief elected official or the governor, okay, where the governor serves as the local grant recipient for a local area, is allowed to designate an entity to serve as a local fiscal agent. Designation of a fiscal agent does not relieve the chief elected official or governor of liability for the misuse of grant funds. Okay, so if the CEO designates a fiscal agent, the CEO must ensure this agent has clearly defined roles and responsibilities. Okay, so if we're going to pick a fiscal agent, so and um, a fiscal agent is a good way to help funds get to an agency that maybe otherwise wouldn't be eligible for. And I've got an example here in a minute. But basically, if you are a fiscal agent, you're responsible for receiving the funds from the federal government um, to make sure that there's fiscal integrity and accountability for the funds. In other words, you're making sure all the rules and regs are followed with how the money's being spent and accounted for. Um, you have to respond to audit, financial findings, um, maintain proper accounting records, prepare financial reports, provide technical assistance when needed. So just basically you're in charge of all the money and all the aspects of spending money. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And I've got a good example here. Um, years ago, 
the state of Georgia, they wanted to award um, some state money to Alpharetta's American Legion Post 201 for their Walk of Memories, um, which was Walk of Memories they were basically doing on their property. They had like a plane from World War II on display, and they had a helicopter from Vietnam and a bunch of things like that. And they wanted to have the sidewalks be filled with bricks that were engraved by servicemen and women who had were from Georgia that had served in the service. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they needed money to help finish this lovely project. Um, But the state of Georgia was not allowed to give grants to nonprofits. So instead they gave the grant to Alpharetta, the city as a fiscal agent. And then we turned around and subawarded the grant to the American Legion. Okay. So it's the American Legion's project. They were doing all the work, but Mm -hmm. ultimately we were responsible for making sure they were doing it right, that we were keeping up with the money, proving it was being spent the correct way and all of that fun stuff. Because the American Legion post itself probably didn't have, they weren't eligible for this particular grant cycle from the state because it had to go to either a local government. Yeah. It had to go to a local government. Not all funding of course has to go to local governments. That was just this particular grant. I just wanted to exactly make sure people exactly. understood that. And I would also say from on the other side of the coin, a quick reminder, one, we're talking about uh, federal funding and state funding and pass-through funding here. But on the other side of the coin, a lot of uh, private funding, you might want to seek a fiscal agent if you are a brand new nonprofit that doesn't have the kind of infrastructure to support or the the longevity or the track record to support uh, the requirements that a lot of private funders would would want you to have. So seeking a fiscal agent, whether it's a local community foundation or a larger nonprofit is also a way that you can work through receiving private funding All the rules and regulations that we're talking about so far, though, don't necessarily apply to private funding at all because it's private and not public. But the fiscal agent concept exists in both buckets of grant funding. Yes, it does. So let's see. When we're talking about partners, we and we talk a lot about partners. Uh, we've talked about partners in season one, episode two. In case you want just more information about this topic, check us out. But there is not this may surprise and shock you there's not one specific, tidy little definition found in federal code for partnerships. Again, different than contractors or subrecipients. Most grants, and again, federal grants, public money, allow multiple applications um, to partner together, rather multiple groups to partner together on one application. Uh, The benefits of doing this, because you may be sitting there going, but we need all the money for ourselves. I feel you, (laughs) my needy people. But Sometimes, in fact, most of the time, if you're able to collaborate and partner, you're actually going to have a larger scope of work. And by that, I mean, you're able to serve more people and get more things done, which makes a more competitive proposal. So partnering up, you're pooling your resources, potentially having that broader reach. And in this particular configuration. No one is a contractor or a fiscal agent. You're all 
partners, although usually what happens is one agency would take the lead in dealing with the paperwork and the requirements, which actually makes a lot of sense because that way, like the money may be going into one agency and the reporting may be coming from one agency. So you don't have six different reports on the same project. Yeah, because um, most but- funders... Most funders don't want to deal with eight different partners. They'll they'll tell you pick I one. I don't want to deal, deal with them. eight different partners. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. So you would still need to collect information. You would still need to someone still needs to drive that car, but it's yes. a different kind of relationship. It's like you're all colleagues, and you're going out to lunch. And Amanda, big money day is going to lay her credit card (laughs) down on the table and pay for it. But then afterwards, we all circle back up and we Venmo her or we do whatever to give to give the money. But the restaurant just gets one credit card. Is that like too real world, Amanda? I don't know. That is a perfect example. Thank you. uh, From now on, I think I'm going to introduce myself as Amanda, big money day. I like that. I wish you would. I wish you would. I wish you would. Oh, oh. Well, I, I can give you a grand example. Several years ago, um, there's a grant program called the Justice Assistance Grant. Um, and so every city in Fulton County, which I, I want to say there's like nine or 10 cities in Fulton County, we all joined together um, to do a Justice Assistance Grant application. Um, and when I say all 10 cities, oh. that includes Alpharetta, Roswell, also the city of Atlanta. Oh, um, and Fulton County, the county as well. So all of us are coming together, lots of big government agencies. Um, and so somebody had to take a lead. Um, the city of Atlanta, they were going to be using the bulk of the money. And so they stood up and offered to take the lead since they were going to be the biggest benefit beneficiary of this program. Sure. Makes and the sense. rest of us, we were more than happy to let them. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. Um, and so... We, we we applied, we got the grant, um, and what happened was the the lady with the city of Atlanta that was managing it from them, she would, you know, a couple of weeks before each quarterly report would be due, she would send us a reminder, hey, by this day, I need all of this information from each of you. We'd send it, she'd aggregate it and put it together in one nice, lovely report and then turn around and send it to the funder. So mm. funder got everything that they needed, um, but it was, it was, that was a huge collaboration. It took a lot of work on the front end. Um, but it was worth it to show, you know, partnership across such a big agency and a lot of service and all kinds of good stuff. So everybody got some needed equipment for their police departments. And it's a, it's efficient. And you were yes. sending in one unified proposal with a much larger yes. scope of work that served a big chunk of a big city. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. But I know a lot of folks, um, it's natural to think, oh, we've got to get this money for ourselves. But if you open yourself up to looking for those kinds of partnerships, and as Amanda will tell you, it's not easy necessarily, but oftentimes it is really the right thing to do. And yeah. uh, I just think that's a great example. Well, especially with, you know, you, there are some big federal grants that are super, super highly competitive because everybody wants it. And so trying to find ways to make yourself stand out. And one of those ways is one, showing that you can cooperate well with others. I mean, <laughs> anytime you can show you play nice in the sandbox is a great idea. Yeah. Um, but also you're, the funder can then say, oh, instead of giving my money to you and I'm serving this tiny little spot, 
I've got a bit much bigger reach. So they're kind of looking at some cost benefit and bigger bang for their buck and all those kind of fun buzzwords. Right. So, um, sure. Funders, funders tend to like to see it. And I'm assuming on the, on the foundation side is partnership. Is that something that happens on somewhat regularly? Oh yes. You or, know, yeah. and you know, they like to use, they like to use the C word, right. And I feel like that's surfacing up again from season one is collaboration. Your collaborators. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's, but same idea, you know, same song, different verse. And it really, you really can do, particularly if you're a larger nonprofit and you can partner with smaller nonprofits that are doing grassroots work, the kind of work that you do or you're a part of in very specific communities, then that's just a beautiful thing. And you are getting, you're flowing through money for your organization to do what you need to do. But then you're also helping smaller organizations get a leg up and help them focus on their work without having to do all the um, administration and then also build themselves up to where they can um, bring in and handle larger grants. It's just all Mm -hmm. about working together. Yeah. Well, that's a good way too. I taught a class just a couple of days ago and one of the questions someone asked, they're like, Hey, some of these bigger grants, whether it's a big foundation or a big federal proposal, you know, if they are insisting that you spend the money up front and then you seek reimbursement, they're like, we're kind of a tiny nonprofit. We don't have cash flow to expend that money on the front. Right. How, how do we do that? Right. And I was like, well, you kind of have two options. One is you don't go for those grants. <laughs> um, but two is to partner with well, somebody who who does have deeper pockets than you that they can handle the initial outlay of capital, knowing that they'll get reimbursed for it. Um, and so that's partnerships is a great way to help out. If you just don't have a lot of, you know, who's, who's got, you know, $200,000 around, not everybody. So, Oh, let me, let me go look at that right now. She said, not moving from where she's standing. Cause it doesn't <laughs> exist. No. So, but anyway, can I just say, look at all the sections of federal code we got to recite. Grant geek moment. Girl, you were in it to win it today. And <laughs> whether you love this stuff or not, you are lovely listeners. If you're going to manage a federal grant, you need to know it. So thanks for breaking it down for us. Yep. And let's be clear again, I am so not a grant savant who can say, oh, you know about yada, yada, yada. Well, that's in section one, two, three, four, five. You know, instead, I have a general idea of where things can be found in the circulars. And when all else fails, I use the search function to look up keywords and relevant code. Okay, so just start typing in if you like, I want subrecipient, you can type that in, find what you need that way. So really what you're saying is the trick is just to jump in and read what you can, maybe take a few classes, maybe listen to a podcast episode or two, and really learn to ask questions of your funder and fellow grant professionals when you don't know how to do something. This is the time to stop and ask for directions. And I am not making a sexist comment here. I'm just going to lay that out there and say it's okay to ask for directions if you don't know your way. Great advice, my friend. Thank you again to our season three sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, dhleonardconsulting.com to learn more. So remember, there's no specific college degree in grant writing or fundraising, but there are a lot of good people with experience to share 
training programs, and other ways to learn. We would love for this podcast to be part of your professional development lineup. And you know, we would also love for you to check out our new website at fundraisingheyday.com. That's H-A-Y-D-A-Y, fundraisingheyday.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast, read our latest blog posts, and so much more. So stay tuned for upcoming episodes this season, including our next one. We're super excited to talk to Julia Campbell about donor recognition and marketing your nonprofit. You guys don't want to miss it. Bye now. Bye. Thank you.